Today on Casually Hardcore, it's our turn to spoil The Force Awakens. Oh yeah, it's my turn. The following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Do not panic, ladies and gentlemen. The casuals have taken control of the airways. This is Casually Hardcore, live on alphageekradio.com. For Wednesday, the 23rd of December, 2015, Christmas Eve Eve, this is Casually Hardcore, and I am Gnomewise. And I am Grail. And we are going to take our shot at Spoilerific review of the new Star Wars film. I've seen kind of a trend amongst other shows of kind of doing a very clearly labeled uh, you know, abandon all hope ye who enter here if you don't like spoilers uh, episodes of their shows. So that's what we're going to do here. Uh, Grail yeah. and I are going to deliver our opinions, observations, nerd squee, uh, general general goodness and joy related to Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Wakes Up from Its Nap. And if you have not seen the film and you do not wish to have major galaxy-changing uh, plot devices revealed to you, do not watch and or listen to this episode. Yeah. Because we're all about the spoilers on this one. Yeah, and I was, I mean, I was, I successfully got into the theater and watched it without knowing basically anything outside of the teaser trailers that they released. And I I similarly managed to pull off that feat. Yeah. And and I didn't even abandon social media or Reddit or anything leading up to it. I I was cautious about what links I would click. Um, oh, yeah. No, I spent a lot of time, like, I would be browsing Facebook, and if something even resembled Star Wars, it was like, nope, scroll nope, right and, by. And I'm out. Yeah, no way. Not happening. Yeah. So, the both of us managed to get in there spoiler-free, and I was very glad that I did. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit more impressed with the uh, bad robot people this time because they when they did Star Trek uh, Into Darkness they tried real hard to conceal a major plot element about right. that movie up to and including just bald faced lying about oh no that character that Bandersnatch Cumberbund is, is playing that's not Khan that's John Harrison yeah. move along Move along. Not Con, it's John. Yeah. See, <laughs> come on. It just uh, don't. Why, why are you even. Ah, just, yeah. Um, they were way more subtle with this one to the point of carefully crafting their trailers as total misdirects. Yeah. Because going into this, who did you think the, the awakening referred to there's been an awakening in the force i think you were at least from a trailer perspective you were led to believe it was finn or john boyega's character who damn nailed it oh Uh, he was i mean that was one of the the strong points i thought overall i mean you can talk to a lot of reasons why this was stronger than the the previous one two and three but just from an acting standpoint, and granted, also most likely from a directing standpoint for the actors, everybody was really good. Yeah, like, I think the casting director. This is one of those areas where uh, I'm, I'm just, I remain annoyed that there is no Academy Award for casting director, and that yeah. the the job of casting director is still looked down upon in industry, um, because 
the, the casting on this one was dead on on all the new characters that we were introduced to. Um, Daisy Ridley in in particular. Oh yeah, as the lead, uh, the, the you know the lead of the three leads, and really right. two and a half leads because Poe was in the beginning, kind of in the end, and turns out he was supposed to have been killed off in the original draft of the script. So, and it kind of shows now that you look back at the. Uh, yeah, because he was in the original idea pitched to the actor uh, Isaac uh, Oscar Isaac Oscar Isaacs. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, you're gonna have this character, and yeah, he's gonna die. In a, he's gonna die in a ship crash right at the beginning." So I go, oh, well, I guess I still get to be in a in a Star Wars movie. So right, and then when he turned it for filming, he's like, "Oh no, we changed our mind, and um, we want him to come back at the end and be in the other movies." He's like, "Dude, yeah." Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and, and he's he's probably one of the more outside of obviously the returning cast of actors that I'm familiar with works that he's done in the past. Yeah. So yeah, he was strong. He was he had a the charismatic kind of Wedge Antilles type uh, a, pilot. A more memorable presence than Wedge. Yeah, oh, well, from a movie standpoint, I'm, I guess I'm thinking of Rogue Squadron, yeah. the extended universe that no longer exists. Right. The, <laughs> I mean, Wedge was always a fan favorite. Yeah. Because he's he's you know the the, the next tier back of major character uh, that we that we as as nerds love to glom onto. And there's no shortage of that kind of character in this film as well. No. Um, but yeah, Poe Dameron. Um, I liked that. You know, well, backing up. A step, sure. This is clearly a not a retelling, but a, a another movie based on the same formula as Episode Four: A New Hope. Oh, I, I mean, if I had any negative towards it, or and I have a few nitpicks, but it it definitely this was this felt much like a retread of Episode Four with some elements of Five and Six thrown in. I think. They definitely went with a trusted formula mm-hmm. to, to, to deliver the message to us, the audience, this is going to be like number four. Yeah. And the subtext there is, and not at all like the prequels. Right. So I think it was kind of a security blanket to us fans of, yeah, there's going to be a lot of familiar stuff, but we're going to mix some things up. And one of the things I like that they mixed up is they distributed the skill set. So in yes. episode four, Luke Skywalker was the ace bush pilot. He had the natural affinity for the Force, you know, rapidly gained Force sensitivity skills with just a wee bit of training from, you know, crazy old Ben. And he, you know, he had all the stuff going for him. Here we have Poe Dameron. He is the kick-ass pilot. And there are no other kick-ass pilots unless you count... Uh, Ray kind of learning on the fly from to pilot you know the freighter, but yeah. we have we have our fighter pilot in one person. We have our force sensitivity in another person. It's not one person has kind of all the stuff going for him. Right. So they've, they've salted the the fun and interesting things to watch um, around different characters. Um, but the you know, the the comparisons to A New Hope are totally justified, really obvious, and I didn't care. No, it didn't didn't bring down the movie at all. I, honestly, I would say the movie to to you know too long didn't read this lived up to my expectations. Yes. So, it didn't exceed them, but it definitely lived up and I had pretty high expectations going in. Yeah, so. our, our expectations were, well, I had really cautious high expectations because okay. <laughs> I've been hurt before, man. Okay. Yeah. Like, please don't hit me this time. Please don't hit me this time. I love you. Um, and did not come away disappointed. And I, they got right down to the, it's okay, this is not the prequels. From the very get-go, from the, one of the very first scenes between Kylo Ren and Poe Dameron, <laughs> where Poe is you know, captive and Kylo is looming over him and gets in his face, and there's a comedic beat. Of, yeah. How does this work? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? Right. 
and the, the messengers, this is not the prequels. Because mm-hmm. there was never humor like that anywhere in the prequels. There were funny beats, but it wasn't this almost fourth wall breaking moment of, okay, I'm the good guy, you're the villain. How does this work? What's, 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 what's my motivation in this scene? Um, yeah. It was skirting up against that. And it was beautifully delivered and hilarious and awesome. And immediately you know, went into a very serious moment of, I'm going to take you away and kill everyone here and rip the knowledge from your brain. But it started on a, a moment of, okay, Poe's obviously uh, got a little bit of the Han Solo swagger in him. They've, okay, mm-hmm. they, that's, where, that's where they put that. Okay. Um, and the badassery of, you know, kill them all. Um, so you yeah. immediately establish, here's our villain, here's our bad guy who's doubting what the hell's going on around him, and here's our good guy, what Ben captured, and oh, by the way, there's a vital piece of data inside an astromech droid running across the desert, hitting me in the face a little bit hard with the parallels here, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I was waiting for the Sandcrawler to show up. Yeah, there needed to be Jawas. Uh, uh, that was uh, like, probably the only thing lacking, but it it, it was... A lot of episode four redone, but in a in a fun way, and it really it didn't matter because at this point I would have just watched Tie Fighters and X Wings fight each other for two hours, and I would have come out okay with that. Yeah, I mean the the nerd in me was satisfied on so many levels because I originally you know, looked at the the Starship redesigns in in the previews mm-hmm. like uh, white panels on the Tie Fighter. I don't know, man. I mean. I know you didn't have a lot of choices of where you could have gone with it, but okay, I guess. And the more subtle updates and redesigns to uh, the X-Wings. Uh, basically, you know, here, here's the 25-year-later model of these things, mm-hmm. and technology has not stood still, and, and the movie has a really freaking big budget compared to you know, Episode 4 oh, sure. ever having. Um, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you, it's, it's on display, and it's a J.J. Abrams movie, which if we've learned anything, at least from the, the two Star Trek movies that he's done, is it goes at a breakneck pace. There is very yeah. little time given to story development, I guess I would say. <laughs> it's developed on the right. fly with the action. And that ties more closely to 4, 5, and 6 than yes. 1, 2, and 3. Yes. 1, 2, and 3 was absolute fan service for the fans who wanted to know more about the universe. There is huge amounts of data dump in the prequels. Sure. The problem is George put it on screen. Yeah. There is not a lot of data. In fact, there's huge missing chunks of information in Episode 7, just like there were in 4 and 5 and, to a lesser extent, 6. And it makes it a better movie from a couple of standpoints. Number one, the pacing is much better. We have very clear goals for the people on screen. The transition to, oh, and yeah, we got to go blow up Starkiller base was a little abrupt. And like, oh, oh, uh, new MacGuffin. Okay. Oh, and it looks real familiar. They just kept inflating the Death Star and didn't stop <laughs> when recommended. Right. I love the, the, the hologram of the original Death here's Star. The original and, Death Star like, and here's Starkiller base. Oh, and here's Starkiller. Oh, my God. And then, <laughs> but, but I, loved, I loved Han Solo's response. So it's bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're being the audience again there, Han. Uh, there was a Han did a lot of that in in those scenes yes. of well we'll just blow up the shield generator. Yeah, there's, there's always a way. Like, uh, you, come on, we've we've done this just twice hang, before. Just <laughs> hanging a lantern on it, it was, you know, it was perfect for that character. Yeah, but the thing that I've realized in the time since seeing I've seen it twice now, saw it twice in in rapid succession. Mm-hmm. Um. This is a different kind of fan service than what George tried to do with the prequels. Sure. This fan service requires a little bit of activity on our part. It makes us want to go do the research. And they very carefully have seeded the ground with everything we want to know in the form of the Star Wars wiki, 
the comic books that they have Marvel doing in between, most all of the data is there waiting to be found for those who give a crap about that. But it's still a totally complete movie for people who couldn't give two shits about it. So if you want to know what the hell is a Snoke, right? there's some information carefully laid out there for you to discover as a fanboy. Oh, apparently he's been around since episode four. Behind the behind the behind the scenes pulling strings. Alrighty then. Um, you know, the only one that hasn't been answered is why the hell what was up with the red arm on C3PO because apparently that comic got delayed till February. But they, oh, they had okay. intended for it to be available in December. Um, so the and and things like they brought Alan Dean Foster back to do the novelization of mm-hmm. the movie like he had originally done for Star Wars. And there's plenty of extra details to be mined from the book. Um, so to me, this is the better way to deliver it. Do the good, fast-paced, simplified movie with plenty of information and, and bombshells and new information about the new universe, but have the data available for people to find. So I came away from the movie going, what the hell? I, the one thing I really didn't get about the setup was, okay, New Republic is clearly in place, is clearly ruling. Why is Leia off leading the resistance? Right. This makes no sense to me. And they didn't take the time to spell it out. No. It's, if you're not really paying attention, like two lines that are dropped, the political, the political layout is not clear at all. And you just have to take it that, okay, resistance fighting first order and Republic is this third party. Right. And, but it took me minimal time to do a little digging to find out some information from the novelization, some information from the wiki that they'd put out there saying, no, here's the, the lay of the land. The Republic is going strong. They have butted up against the First Order and have basically done the, we're going to sign a non-aggression treaty with you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, oh, no, Germany after World War I. I mean the First Order. <laughs> um, non-aggression pact. Hey, Leia, uh, let's uh, get you a little bit of funding on the side here. And, yeah, we, we understand you think that this is something to be alarmed about, so we're going to quietly back you while you form a resistance to the First Order within the First Order's sphere of influence. So the Republic was over there minding Republicville, and the First Order is over here, and Leia and company are digging in to their part of the world with the, not, you know, the open secret that it's the Republic backing them. Right. My inner nerd was completely satisfied. I'm like, that's a great setup. And the movie was better for it not being on screen. Because when they put that crap on screen, we got to hear about trade negotiations. Yeah. And that is one of the very first thing anyone who is not satisfied with episode one will throw up. Say, oh, yeah, great. Trade negotiations in the first scene. Woo. And the first scene for this one was Poe freaking Dameron getting super secret information about Luke goddamn Skywalker and then the First Order attacking in a beautifully uh, orchestrated uh, attack scene. Yeah. And, you know, how do you start a Star Wars movie? I would argue that Episode 7 did it better than Episode 1. Oh, easily. Then, the yeah, let's. I sense an issue with the little Trade Federation folks yeah. and get to see some droids mm-hmm. get their heads chopped off. Whoopity freaking uh, do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the bad guys in this one were a lot more formidable than anything in one through three. Yes. Uh, I, I personally could have used a line or two in the movie of basically what you just said. Yeah, uh, well, that's why I immediately went looking for it because it yeah. was unsatisfying. It, yeah, it made me look at it because I'm like, what are they talking like? What? Because at the end of Jedi, everybody's partying down like Empire has gone. And now 25 laters, we're basically saying the Empire has just renamed itself. And, and we still have freedom fighters for some reason. So and it's, you know, a lot of it obviously has parallels to today's world where the Republic would be the U.S. Mm-hmm. and the Freedom Fighters are basically the Taliban in the early 80s. <laughs> and I've, seen, I've seen clearer parallels drawn with 
Germany after World War I, where they had been beaten down, but then they aggressively pursued technology and quickly became once again a force to be reckoned with sure. under different leadership. Yeah, so, well, for the New Order's perspective, right. but I'm talking about for the Republic and the Resistance perspective. I mean, right. basically, the Republic is armor, arming freedom fighters, which sometimes are called terrorists, right? <laughs> depending on your All side your of the point coin. of view. And, but it's, yeah. it's the the Republic didn't you know was looking at the tech that the First Order was coming in with and saying, okay, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're maybe not quite ready to go head to head with you guys just yet. Sure, um, sure, yeah. So. Now, I guess and, uh, you've done, obviously, more digging than I have. So the Starkiller planet mm-hmm. fires at one point in the movie and blows up what is the head of the Republic, which I assume to be Coruscant, but it's never really spelled no, out. And it was not Coruscant. It was, okay, it was not. It was a different, it was a different uh, system. I'm forgetting the name of it. Okay. Um, and they do go to, to pains in the plot to say that it is a hyperlight um, weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, some of the, the digging I've done on the novelization, the the way that it worked in the book, mm-hmm. I find a lot more satisfying than the version that they decided to go with in the movie, where it eats, <laughs> it eats up the star and then shoots pew-pew beams across uh, interstellar distances. It went from suck to blow. It, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and did they have a spare sun lying around? Because they fired the damn thing twice, and it only ate the sun the second time. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what the other thing. It's like, is this thing mobile or right. is it like that's it? We're we're done with this system now. We got to move on. My feeling was that, that that they were done, but they would have struck the the killing blow to the Republic that they designed it for. That it was gotcha. Basically, a two trick pony. Yeah. Um, but the the novelization version had it working off of dark matter, so of which there is a much greater supply, and you don't have to exhaust a single sun to get it. And it would basically fire a sphere of energy that would immediately enter hyperspace oh, okay. and then would materialize in the core of the planet you were targeting. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it'd be tough to show visually. And that's the problem that's cool. is they needed something yeah. that was pew pew, looked good on screen, and didn't sure. require. And again, they were trying to avoid death by explanation. Because right, they would right. have to have had spelled that out with diagrams and everything. And they had one chalk talk in this movie. And it was the classic, here's how we're going to kill the Death Star chalk talk. Right. And there wasn't room for another chalk talk. So they, I understand <laughs> why they dumbed down the weapon. Yeah. Um, it was still, and, and, but at least they, they, I'm thankful that they didn't. There's one thing that annoyed me about the changes that they made to JJ-verse over on Star Trek is... They've shrunk interstellar distances remarkably. Like they are going from Earth to Kronos in twelve minutes. Yeah, and think, and then also doing away with the need for starships in the first movie because they have interstellar transporters. Right. Uh, then why do we still have a Starfleet? Yeah, no kidding. So they at least took a moment to hang their hat on and say. Oh no! It, the the weapon fires at hyperlight, so there's a reason why you know they were able to shoot, you know, basically take out a solar system light years away almost instantaneously. The bit that annoyed me was everybody of consequence looked up into the sky and could magically see the beams going across their <laughs> sky. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Um. Well, you know. <laughs> Again, it had to be gussied up for... That's, that was extreme nerd nitpicking sure, um, on sure. my part. Oh, I mean, my my if I have my big nitpick is when they've gotten to the point of saying, you know, they fired, they've blown up whatever planet it was then, and the moon's around they it. They took out all and, the fleet. Well, yeah, see, how did they take out all the fleet by doing that? Because it's in orbit around all the planets? But there's like, so the entire Republic fleet was sitting in one planetary orbit. This is what Japan tried to do to the United <laughs> States and screwed up because they missed the aircraft carriers in World War II. They appear to have been satisfied that they timed theirs right to do the maximum amount of damage to the fleet. Because, you know, they, they took out five or six planets and moons all at once. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming shipyards were encompassed there. And a certain amount was always on, you know, Coast Guard defense of the big planets. Yeah. So, but they also, the bigger things, they also cut off the head of the command and control. There's no... Right. Nobody calling the shots. 
So I don't think it necessarily eliminated the fleet, but also reduced its effectiveness incredibly. Yeah, it just, I mean, for me, it was just one of those things like you still have Leia, who is referred to the entire movie as General Leia. So obviously a head honcho in the military for both uh, the resistance and, you know, in in conjunction with the Republic, you'd think at some point they'd be like, hey, remember, you know that system that just got blown up? We're going to attack here, and all we have are X-Wings. Like, mm-hmm. if you could send a couple Carillions over, that would be nice. <laughs> but again, the the timer was running because sure. they got the information, oh, they're they're eating another star, and they're going to yeah. they know where we are. Um, so that the, the whole th- it was the battle of Yavin over again. They're right, coming right. for us. The timer is running. They're they're orbiting the planet. They're going to yeah. be in range, but they don't need to wait to be in range. They just need to wait to, to charge this thing up. Right. So we. No, have- I know. It just again it, for me it was just one of those things like yeah, and maybe it just would have not added if they called the Republic and they said nope, we can't help you or yeah. something like that. Like in this case, they were just like, yep, they blew up the entire fleet. Like <laughs> really, the Republic well, that has. I would imagine at least hundreds of worlds. Well, the the, <laughs> the the thing that this entire thing hinges on, and I find it completely believable when you're talking about galactic scale, is the Starkiller base was completely successfully kept secret. Oh, yeah. Nobody no. knew Jack about it until it fired. Sure. And then Finn was there to say, let me tell you what that just was. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Nothing about. So there was no preparation because there was no perceived danger. Right. Well, other than the general danger, it's just again, if you if you take a look at you know the world as it is today, governments, even if they take a hit, tend to react very swiftly in terms of at least wanting to hit back really fast. Well, yeah. So for me, I just. It, it felt a little contrived to the say, well, now it falls upon our, I guess, what was it, about 10 X-Wings that they sent in there. And why, uh, on a bombing mission, did they send in X-Wings? Yeah, where were the Y-Wings? I'm I guess a, those I mean, have been the, scrapped. The Y-Wings were pretty ancient at, at, yeah. during episode four. Yeah. And I, I, I'm judging from the, the amount of torpedo pew-pew that was coming out of the X-Wings is they're mm-hmm. now fighter bombers extraordinaire. Sure. So I guess I'll give it to them. It's just it's just a way more versatile craft than it used to be. But yeah. I'm, I'm always I always had a soft spot for the Y wings. Oh yeah. A- and for the next movie, they have to have another craft where Finn can be Poe's tail gunner, because the <laughs> chemistry between them in that special forces yeah. Tie Fighter was awesome. Well, and that was another thing I loved about the movie was that the TIE Fighters actually looked more formidable in this than they've ever looked in any other movie. I mean, the Apocalypse Now scene mm-hmm. where they're coming in from the rising or the setting sun, and you actually see, like, exhaust uh, yeah. coming off of them when they're coming to kill Maz Kanata's uh, temple. Yeah. Um, that's like, okay, you lifted that from Apocalypse Now, but I'm going to give it to you because I have wood, okay? Right, right, right. And just the, the little touches they put in that made my, my inner 12-year-old l- just squeal with joy, showing them hovering on repulsors. Right. And how they would launch out of the racks in all the, all the little little inner workings of, mm-hmm. so we'd only ever seen TIE Fighters. Like, okay, yeah. how do you land that thing? Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> And but I also loved Poe's reaction to it. I've always wanted to fly one of these things. Whoa, this thing can move! Yeah, I have got to get me. Oh, sorry, wrong franchise. Um, Right, right. But yeah, that's all kinds of little bitty bits of fan service, salted liberally through here, and and just you know when they were leaving, when the the first order was leaving uh, the attack on Kanata's bar where they had the the Tie Fighters hovering there, providing covering fire, and then. Going off like believable military vehicles, that, you know, and they opened up the movie with freaking landing craft. I mean, oh yeah, that, that could have come from the beach in Nor- on Normandy. They just kind of flew in instead of floating in. But we're, oh, right. you know, we, we are here to disgorge troops and defend them while they kill you. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is very believable stuff. So it was really the the military was way more credible, especially when the stormtroopers, you know, armor wasn't gapping in the back with every step. But that's more of a budgetary thing, right? Right. Um, 
So, gave us a credible, if a bit over the top, bad guys. The the speech before they fired the the prime weapon the first time was a bit um, Kyle Snokish for me. Oh, yeah, I mean, like oh. Who is that? Don Donald Gleason yes. was yeah. As like, he was um general uh, general or admiral or whatever. Hux. Hux, yeah. Hux, Hux, Hux. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, he, 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 that was that was the role. I guess that was the role. He yep. was meant to be the caricature uh, of the, the evil bad guy leading the general charge. Yeah. We shall go forwards. Um and also, but it, a nice counterpoint to Kylo Ren mm-hmm. and uh, his him kind of going off because he had obviously his own orders from Snoke as well as his own interest in finding obviously Han Solo as well as somebody who's force sensitive. And yeah, so let, let's talk about the, the emo in the room. Um, yeah. Ben Kylo Ren. Yes. Um, so we have our new figurehead poster child for the dark side. Oh, yeah. And I found it interesting that the word Sith was uttered one time in this movie, and that was by Maz Kanata when she was talking in general terms about, I've seen all manner of people of evil. Mm -hmm. Sith, the Empire, and the general kind of saying, it's not necessarily Sith. Right. They're just dark side wielders. Yeah. And I like that they're not necessarily adhering to the Sith model because in part of the existing universe that they have kept as canon, the Clone Wars series, yes. there were some fun explorations of other societies, light and dark, that were force wielding. Mm-hmm. So we had the races from Dathomir, where Darth Maul came from, where you have the sisters and the brothers. The sisters are all force witches, mm-hmm. which are a different breed of dark force wielder that have their whole own set of rules and you know their, their own religion that has grown up around the existing dark side of the force and their own goals. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that's where they're planning on going with Kylo Ren and... Uh, Supreme Leader Snoke is oh no I the reason you've never seen me before is I was behind the scenes watching what the Sith were doing and waiting to exploit their screw ups right and I'm this whole other game player of how I use the dark side and there's not even an, an indication that Snoke himself is a force wielder it's just, you know, there's the vague recle- reference to bring him to me so that he may complete his training. Mm-hmm. And they talk, and Leia talks about, you know, Snoke being the one who seduced Ben to the dark side. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that one's a little more just kind of, I would say, is inferred yeah. that he is. <laughs> so many other parallels here. It's kind of hard not to just assume that, okay, the Sith are back. They're never really gone. And, or, you know, they've, they've, they've taken the intervening 30 years to retool as well. Um, yeah. Now, let me tell you, though, when uh, the first time you see him, I was like, what is this giant person? Like, where have they been at? <laughs> it wasn't clear like, at all to me that he was a hologram. At yeah, they had the like, same oh, reaction. <laughs> well, okay, they're going new places with the races in this universe. All right. Oh, yeah. he's a hologram. Okay, he could be like Ewok size for all we know, and that may be a fun <laughs> reveal later on that he's not actually all that big. Oh, yeah. he's a little fear demon. Oh, he's a cute dude. Yeah, uh, we'll see. But so, uh, but yeah, yeah, brought to you by Andy Circus. So Gollum was playing a Sith. Yay, <sighs> mocap. It's a whole new world. Um, so yeah, there's the there's you know, that's the, he's about the least satisfying new character because we know precisely dick about Snoke. Yeah. We know he's bad. We know he was instrumental in turning Ben to the dark side. Right. I mean, he's, we know he's basically calling the shots for the First Order. Yeah, I mean, to keep the parallel, I'm amazed they even put him in this movie and then just refer to him as right. they did a la the Emperor in Episode 4, and you don't actually even see a hologram of it until 5. I think they needed him there to 
give us more backstory for Ben. Yeah. Because here, you know, this is who Ben is trying to live up to because he has walked away from all the previous father figures in his life. His real father, Luke Skywalker, he's gone to this new guy to, mm -hmm. you know, show him the way because he's got granddaddy issues. Not just daddy issues, he's got granddaddy issues. Right, right. He's become well, and, and I think, yeah, that's, that's going to be the, the big question that's unanswered is what happened to drive him. Like, Han, you kind of watch this movie, you realize maybe wouldn't have been the best father figure. You think? <laughs> so you can kind of see that that relationship may not have been there, but what, what caused him and Luke to fall out, I guess, would be more... Right, and, and from Ray's flashbacks mm -hmm. or flash forwards or sideways, it's not really clear because it's a really weird sequence of events. Yeah. When she touches Luke's lightsaber, number one, how the hell did that get <laughs> there? That's a story for another movie. I mean, another time, Maz says. Right. Um, it sounds so naughty. She touched his lightsaber. Touched his lightsaber. Hey, it's, <laughs> uh, it's possibly her dad we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, um but you get, you know, she transitions to a, a corridor from Cloud City for a, a short time. Mm -hmm. You see her being left with uh, Simon Pegg's character on Jakku um, as a child with Mystery Ship going away. No, no. Um, you see what appears to be the destruction of the new Jedi Temple by the Knights of Ren. Mm -hmm. But you also see a weird scene where it's not clear if it's from Ray's perspective at some point in the past or her observing something from a third person where someone is about to club, it, apparently, Ray, and Kylo Ren saves her from being clubbed to death. And it's really not clear what the hell is going on, whether that was her remembering herself being saved by Ren at some point in the past. So was she at the Jedi Academy as a child and was spared by him because they're related and his journey to the dark side was not yet complete? You know, what the hell was that? And it was you know, very deliberately put in there to paint all kinds of question marks over what is the backstory, which is what this whole movie is here to do, is say, sure. here's a satisfying through line, beginning, middle, end, and a here's a bushel of questions for you, right. which is what Empire Strikes Back did really well. Because with episode four, they didn't know they had a franchise on that. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it was George, George thought it was going to be a complete failure to the point of when it premiered, he went to Hawaii with, with Steven Spielberg and just turned off all media and just expected to come back to financial ruin and then came back and said to, oh, well, it seems to have gone quite well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they didn't really get to the planting the dangling plot lines really thoroughly until episode five. They are out of the gate with it on this one of, hey, mystery girl with a shocking you know, mystery past. And what's different about um, Finn that makes him break his conditioning on his very first mission? Is he mm -hmm. possibly Force-sensitive as well? Um, yeah, no, because no. And he also has a mystery that he was taken as a baby, basically, right. from his parents. Which, so. was, which parallels Ray very nicely. Right. Um, not quite a baby, but... Um, well, very, well, yeah, yeah, Ray was not a baby, yeah. Um, she was, it looks like five or six. You know, in Around the, that, it looked shot. like. Um, you know, yeah, so, and that, that definitely is one of the big questions of the movie, is who exactly is her parents? Right. And I think... At the very least, you're pointed heavily towards it being Luke Skywalker. Well, let's look at the evidence. Yes. Um, so she's camped out on Jakku in the ruins of an Adat. Mm -hmm. She's got her little hovel in there, and they pan across the hovel, and there's a little doll she's built out of orange and white felt that's clearly an X-Wing pilot's pressure suit. Yes. Hmm. Who frequently you know, tooled around the universe wearing that? Right. When he wasn't wearing all black or all beige. Um, later, we see her leaning against the foot of the Adat and putting on a flight helmet that looks really similar. And it's got the symbol of the rebellion on it and also you know, the symbol of the New Republic on it. And it looks right. like an older model one, like exactly like we used to see perched upon Luke Skywalker's head. Sure. He would fly around in his X-Wing. Um, 
So now you can devil advocate against that and say she's also shown to be a scavenger. Right. So definitely a possibility she could have just scavenged these items. Why would a child make a doll of someone in an X-Wing pilot suit? Well, I mean, she knew the stories, so it's like making an action figure. Possibly. Okay. Um, so you have those, those little bits there. Sure. You have the in-your-face moment of the freaking lightsaber calls to her. <laughs> yeah. And gives her this massive vision. Now, on... Uh, I was listening to an episode of Current Geek where they were doing their spoiler show, and the observation mm-hmm. there was made that remembering that the Clone Wars series remains canon, within Clone Wars they have established that the gems that are at the core of the lightsaber, which is, again, the final task of a Jedi right. before they become a Jedi, they have a, a memory and a force sensitivity and uh, almost a, a, an awareness of their own so that any force-sensitive person may have heard the gem in the lightsaber calling out with, sure. its, with its accumulated experiences. And anybody with strong sensitivity like, like Ray is very obviously demonstrated to have very powerful. would yeah. get a jolt by coming into contact with this thing. That's yeah. one thing they, they've really amped up the telepathy and uh, mental aspects of the Force in this one. Oh, man, let me just say, Kylo Ren stopping the blaster bolt was badass. That was meant to establish him as a blunt instrument, freaking, you know, huge geologic-level Force wielder. Right. But also, where before in Star Wars... Other than the simple mind trick of I would like to have you think what I would like you to think. Mm -hmm. They haven't really gone into any depth on manipulating somebody else or digging information out. Because if that were the case, episode four would have had a very different ending. Because he would have just tunneled into Leia's brain and just taken what he wanted. Um, Then he would have discovered her force latency because it would have risen to Defender like it did uh, Ray's character. But yeah, they, and it they basically really... became a, a mind meld or right. uh, occlumency from like Harry Potter, where Very it kind of so. backfired. Yeah, and I loved the scene where Kylo Ren was going in to get the information on the map confidently, and it was a scene with no dialogue. Right, and you could see the play going back and forth where he's going in and she's realizing, "Holy shit, I'm stopping him." Mm-hmm. And, oh, he didn't expect this, so he erected no defenses. Yeah. I'm going to walk in and take what I want from your head. Right, right. And that was a fun recurring theme in this movie was Kylo Ren was Rey's teacher throughout this movie. Oh, without a doubt. Every encounter he had with her, she came away knowing more. Yeah. And And I'm wondering if that's going to get played on in the next movie in terms of, especially because at first I had, again, I was like, how the hell is she already like, how does she even know to try to command the guy to let him go? Right. But you go, wait a second. She did just kind of meld with another force, a trained force users. How much did she come away with? Right, right. Well, and not only that, but what else did she come away with? And yeah, I'm wondering what else she may, she may wake up in a, in a cold sweat knowing, um, later on. Um, Fun to, have you been briefed on the, the cameo that was in, in the you will leave the door open scene? Uh, no. Wait, the, what are you talking about? In the scene where she uh, forced manipulation. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Uh, that was Daniel Craig in the armor. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I'm going to drop my weapon, clank. And again, yeah. there's that little bit of humor yeah. that was missing. <laughs> from, and I'm going to drop right. my weapon. The tantrums that they had. Oh, Red those were Red, awesome. Those were awesome. And it really it was, spelled out the, here's, a, here's an emo, out-of-control kid right. who has found his dad's gun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, there's a great movie uh, with Forrest Whitaker and James McAvoy called Last King of uh, Scotland. Um, and there's a line in there where uh, James McAvoy is talking to uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker, and he goes, 
Because you're a child, and that's what makes you so fucking scary. <laughs> because you have all this power, and yet you your your mentality is that of a child. Yep. And, and that's that's that that's that's his whole character. Yeah. Um, He's a a angst. Not not angsty. Not I don't want to you know put him in like Hayden. Christensen's portrayal of Anakin's. Well, no, he's, I mean, he's, he is how Anakin should have been portrayed. He's, yeah, he's much better. He's doing a much better Anakin than Anakin was was portrayed as, yeah. where the writing's better, and it, it really shows him. He's just, obviously, he's desperate for a, 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 some sort of father figure or an approval, adult's approval from somebody. Somebody to give him approval to tell him he's doing a great job, and right. he's willing to go anywhere to find that. And I'm assuming we'll get more you know, yeah. flashbacks and things to indicate where this has actually come from. Oh, yeah. Um, but they did a good job of illustrating where he's at right mm-hmm. now, which is screw up, Bill. Um, I mean, to the, you know, keeping Grandpa's burned up mask around, <laughs> you know, keeping his own mask, which he totally doesn't need for no. anything. You know, keeping it in a pile of Grandpa's ashes. Oh, that, that's that's lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. 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 Strange worship going on there. Right. Uh, so let me go talk to Grandpa's head for a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but I loved the tantrums. I loved the little comedic beat of the uh, two stormtroopers walking <laughs> around. One guy stops while he's going because he's lost um, Ray. And mm-hmm. he just turn around, and walk the hell the other way. It's like this is a common occurrence around here. Okay, we're just we're out of here. We're um, just back. Yep. And but the the truth of the encounter on the bridge. Yeah. Where the actor really sold the this is my final turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And I saw it two different ways the two different times I saw it. Mm-hmm. First time I saw it, I saw Ren manipulating Han out onto the gantry and pretending to be conflicted and said, just come a little closer, Dad, because my new boss has told me that I can ever, can't ever advance until I am rid of you and saw it as a complete manipulation the second go through, I saw him as really actually hadn't made the decision yet. Um, and it could have gone either way at that point. Yeah. Where that's, that's the way I took it. Yeah. I only saw it once. And the, the first time watching it, I saw him as somebody like, you know, he was talking, obviously the, the, I guess the twist to the scene is that Han was thinking he was talking about coming back to the light side, and he was the entire time talking about taking the final step to the dark side. Right. But neither of them, you know, I don't think there was any manipulation. I think he was very much not sure if he could do it. And when Han basically said, "You, you know, I'm here to help you with anything," that kind of gave him the push that he needed to say, "Okay, then." This is how you can help me. Mm-hmm. You can die. You can die on my saber. <laughs> yeah. You can die on my broadsword, which is effectively what that one is. Which, again, you know, f- calling back parallels to the past movies, that was basically the end of episode five with Vader and Luke. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little bit of salting of, of Ben Kenobi from episode four. Uh, maybe I, I for the, just because I mean they had the red lighting came in. Mm-hmm. There was the smoke. They're out on a catwalk. Yep. I mean, it called. They were basically if you had shown that shot without any context, you'd think they were in Cloud City or something very close to that. And he falls down into a you know pl- a a cloudy yeah. pit that you know you know you don't really see the body i guess but yeah, the place reverts into being a sun later so i don't think he got out uh i'm pretty sure he's yeah not not there but supposedly he's also going to be in the next movie but i would assume as a flashback a flashback yeah yeah um let's see I, I approached that a little differently because i saw han's motivation as different if you go back and look at his interactions with leia mm-hmm. he has clearly 
written off their son, and Leia has not. Yeah, he he's talking about talks about him in very final terms. Oh yeah, we have lost him, and she is the one that convinces him. Yeah, go try and save him, and the look on his face and his attitudes you know, does not say to me, "I'm going to go rescue my son." Is I'm going to do this because Leia asked me to, and I have no hope of succeeding. And he follows it through to the end, and to me, that's a stronger parallel to Ben Kenobi, sure, who knew he had to face Vader and join the Living Force, a la, aka die, mm-hmm. because it, that was what it was time to do. And I saw this as Han going to do what he could to save the um, Resistance and save Leia, by extension. Sorry. Um, and but knew that he was going to his death. If if he knew that if he encountered Ben, it would be the end of him. And and hey, he was right. I love the fact that he used dad voice on him. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then that was the way they revealed you know who he had been named for. Right. Right. Um, but see, I I I, I don't think Han believed he was coming off that gantry. I think I really think if you, and you go back on your next viewing and pay attention yeah. to these interactions, especially when they're talking about their son, because they, they're carefully avoiding naming him at that point. Right, right. Um, his reactions, you know, the, the reverse shot on him when they're hugging after talking about it. He's it's a, it's a look of resignation. Okay, and so she she has hope that there's still light in him. He doesn't believe it. Guess what? Turns out Han had this one right. Yeah, because um, yeah. and and in interviews, uh, Abrams has said, "No, this was his final turn to the dark side." And right. The whole scene was meant to illustrate there is no good left in him. He he is Palpatine, yeah. Palpatine levels of lost to the dark side. Yeah, not Anakin levels of lost. <laughs> Uh, another right. another fun thing that came out of recent interviews is he's had the opportunity to read the script for yeah. Episode Eight. Yeah, I read that. He said that now I really regret not signing on for a two-picture deal. Yeah. Because <laughs> he really liked the script and was really excited about the script. So that bodes well, I think, for the continuation because it, it's, it's under the command of a new new director and new mm-hmm. writing team. Yeah, um, but a strong a director that has a strong background and very story-driven yep. media um, directed several episodes of Breaking Bad. Uh, and so, God, I forget what movie he had done, but yeah. So, so, but yeah, it was, and it it definitely was the uh, heartstring puller oh, moment. Yeah. That was that was the big moment and of okay, beloved character. Oh. Not only beloved character, but you watch him up to that point, and you kind of sit back and go, "Why hasn't he been playing Han Solo for the last twenty years?" Like <laughs> he had already made bank and didn't have to. <laughs> I know, but I guess make give him more, give him whatever he needed at that point, because Jesus, he fell back into that role. Like, oh God, you know, uh, it, no it, it issue. Was so I mean, it's like they never left. It was so yeah. comfortable as an audience member and so... So good. I mean, especially considering, like, uh, the last Indiana Jones movie where you're like, oh, maybe... And it could, maybe have, it could have gone that way. It's yeah, so, so you way. had some... There was some worry there with the old crew, but Leia, obviously a much smaller role, uh, was perfectly good in it. Han was just incredible. And then they gave Chewie more personality. They, I loved the fact that they were able to use updated makeup effects yeah. to give him more expression. But they, also just, they wrote more stuff for him. Yeah. And they gave him much more dexterous hands. Oh, yeah. And you got to see Commando Chewie in yep. action. Yeah. Uh, so he was funny. Uh, where, you know, they, you know, they'd cut to him for a reaction and be like, I, I I always argue my way. I always talk my way out of yeah. these things, and he just gives me like, "Really, Han? Really? Yeah." Every time, whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, this was the person who was patching him up. She's like, "Really? That all happened? You must have been very brave." He's like, "Yeah, I was." <laughs> hero, hero of the New Republic. You know, you may have heard of me. That's right, Chewbacca. Yeah. Um, his. 
reaction to witnessing the death of his oh yeah you know his life bond friend mm-hmm. I tear went down my cheek uh, I know it they sold it and gave us the gratifying moment of having him drill Ren in the gut with the bowcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sweet. Not only that, then, then, then murder many a stormtrooper. Killed every stormtrooper. Just, just, just did the, and I'm still standing in the building and I am hitting the detonator because F yeah. every single one of you. Yeah, pretty much. It was like, <laughs> screw it. This planet goes. Kill you, kill you, <laughs> kill you. Boom, I'm out. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was um, a, an emotional scene and an, an action-packed scene, and I'm curious to see what the future is for the character because they, yeah. you know, Ray and he, end up together. They did a lot of setup of making oh, yeah. sure that we knew that Ray really had an appreciation for the Falcon, knew how to deal with it, had been repairing it for her master, you know, for for years. Right. Um, there were bits left out where she had she had a flight sim um, in her little cubby hole. Oh, that explains cool. her ability her to pilot, quickly pilot. learn how to pilot for real. She never piloted for real; they had plenty yeah. of, of simulation training on all different models. So again, those those little those explanation bits that got left out for the sake of pacing mm-hmm. that make it kind of unbelievable. You can say, "Oh, it's the force," and it's like, "Oh, whatever." The eh. force, yeah. one of the best lines. The force doesn't work like that. Right, right. <laughs> um, again, delivered by Harrison Ford. Yeah, sanitation. <laughs> Right. Um, no. Yeah. Like I said, great, great acting all all around. But yeah. So. Uh, and then the big reveal of the fact that Mark Hamill is in this movie for twenty seven seconds. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, Where he stares kind of uncomfortably. Right. <laughs> the greatest. I was talking at the very beginning of our episode here about the sleight of hand in the trailers mm-hmm. and the build up. That oh, was yeah. the, probably the biggest piece of sleight of hand next to. Oh hey, you thought the guy with the sword in all the previews was the good guy force sensitive? Ha <laughs> Guess what? It's yeah. the girl. And oh yeah, technically Mark Hamill is in the credits, but you're not going to see Jack from him until yeah. the next movie. But uh, he is the this character is the focus of whatever it, it is. Up the until the point that, where they they realize they have to destroy Star Killer base. Right. The whole movie is about where's Luke Skywalker? We have Finding to find Luke, Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. We have a piece of the puzzle yeah. to find Luke Skywalker. Um. So the, you know, she and Chewie going off in the Falcon to find Luke, um, and the big cliffhanger of her offering his his and his father's lightsaber back to him, yeah, and the implication of here's your saber back, Dad, um, which may turn out to be a massive head fake, and we could be all wrong in the next couple of movies. We'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's I've seen some other theories out there as to who uh, Ren's lineage is, Ray's lineage is, mm-hmm. but uh, I still would say Luke is the, the Everybody's got to be a Skywalker. Um, and again, if they're modeling it after the, the through line, the, the movies have always been about the Skywalker family. Right, right. So you have that. The, ol- the only competing theory I've seen was that it's possibly she's uh, Obi-Wan's child. Right. However, I think from a timeline perspective, I don't know if that works. <laughs> it totally doesn't work. Yeah. So he would have to have, have yeah, no, fathered her from beyond the grave, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. It, or it, it could that, be he fathered a child, and then, then that child had this as his granddaughter. Yeah, uh, that that would be more believable. It flies in the face of the whole thing set up in the prequels of you know the Jedi do not you know breed. Uh, well, the the theory being that once uh, Obi Wan got banished out to Tatooine, and there were no said, Jedi. Well, the, the order's done, yep, so I don't really well need get... to live by those rules anymore. <laughs> get busy! Yeah, this is like party time. I mean, what else are you gonna do on Tatooine? Let me show you my lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, or my goffy stick, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and then of course, obviously, the other one of that she possibly could be. Kylo's br- or sister, mm-hmm. but I find that completely unbelievable because you'd think at some point Han and Leia would have been like, "Oh, what about that girl we left on <laughs> Jakku?" <laughs> I will. I will simply leave you with, "Oh yeah, sure, Leia's Luke's sister. Right, whatever, dude. Yeah, <laughs> they have gone to this well before. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I know. It just again, it just from the interactions between Han and Leia doesn't seem yeah. likely." <laughs> We shall see. Yeah. Um, so, 
Very satisfying. Yeah. Massive setup for more movies. Oh, yeah. Um, next year, we get, next Christmas, we get uh, Rogue One, mm-hmm. which is the story of the team sent to extract the Death Star plans from Imperial Computers pre-Episode 4. Mm-hmm. This first of the anthology movies. And then following right after that, in May of 2017, we get Episode 8. And then the Han Solo anthology movie, young Han Solo anthology right. movie. And then episode nine. And then so it's going to be the same kind of wealth of continuing content that they've developed with the Marvel model. Disney is very obviously investing into with the Star Wars model. Oh, yeah. Uh, just here's a mainline and a side story. Main yeah. and a side story. They've serialized movies now, so. Huh. Really? Serializing movies. What a concept. I know. Hmm. George, mission accomplished. Yeah. We're not getting them every Saturday morning, but they're also not shit quality. Exactly. <laughs> so, if you wanted to revive America and the world's love of the movie serial, you can go to your grave knowing your life's wish has been accomplished. Yeah. And all you had to do was let go of it. Yep. Who'd have thunk there's, it? There's a lesson in there somewhere. <laughs> there's a big old lesson in there somewhere. Is uh, no, no, you know, a creator sometimes, sometimes needs to know when to let go. Yeah. And... Boy, oh boy, it was a long wait for us, the fans, but the strength of the underlying shared universe and the great world that was built in those first three movies is now paying dividends because you're, you're plugging good writers, good directors, good actors into that, and we're getting wonderful, entertaining massively emotionally involving movies for a whole generation while doing the difficult trick of also appealing to a whole new generation of viewers. Right. I'm seeing it being very well received, not as fanatically received as our generation. No. But being seeing, being well received and enticing interest from a whole younger generation of people in a way that the prequels never got near despite the fact that George thought he was writing it for children. Right. And this one was written for you and me. Yeah. But they did such a good job in just making it a good, fun space opera story that it's good for anybody who wants to pony up the money to go see the film. Mm-hmm. More like this. More like this. And I know you're listening because it's us and we're talking on the internet. Disney, don't screw this up. Get on it. I don't want to be hurt like I was hurt before. If, this is, if you're going to turn on me, I know where you live. <laughs> We're okay? coming for you. We will come for you in crowds. <laughs> Leonovid in the uh, chat says, let it go, let it go. <laughs> okay, I will let it go. Um, so two thumbs up for me on this one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well recommended. Ten Very ten good, good start. Good start. Yes. Now we need we need follow through. But I, I, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like watching, you know, Iron Man. Yeah. It's like okay, this was good. Yeah. Ooh. Let's see what else you can. What what else you got? <laughs> but the the stakes are higher because there was nothing oh, yeah. before Iron Man. No, no, no. True. So true. there wasn't. They, they were beginning their franchise. So that was their episode four. Yeah. Here, yeah, yeah. they've had it. They've lost it. Now they right. got it back again. Right, right. How so. how JJ got his groove back. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just I I, I want to go see it again. That's I mean that that is the strongest endorsement I can give to this is at this point in my life where it is a struggle and a pain to get out to see any movies in the theater. I have managed to see this one twice, and I want to see it again in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm, I'm past needing to be spoiled on it. I'm past all that. Um, I just I loved the opening day energy. Everyone was there and, and vibrating and, and ready to receive. Um, and had completely crappy seats um, and still loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Cool. So 
I'm assuming all of you who are listening to this after the spoiler warnings have also already gone and seen it. Um, we'd be interested in hearing your reactions and hopes and desires and complaints and, and all, all the wonderful things that this good Star Wars movie has brought to us, which is it has inspired this kind of conversation. Yeah. So we've got something to geek out about again. We have something to talk about. We have things to guess badly and guess wrong about that will be revealed to be dumb guesses later, or we could nail it. We won't know for two years or a year and a half. Um, <laughs> and But the fact that it was good enough and it bears, it, it bears the weight of this kind of discussion and debate and talk tells me better than anything else that they got it right. Because if it were a prequel, we would have finished this podcast 40 minutes ago and said, well, they tried. Right. And we've gone and, and drunk ourselves to unconsciousness and, and <laughs> wallowed in the, well, yeah, we have. Instead, I still got more shit to talk about, but it's over time yeah. and we got to go. Yep. So uh, send us your reactions and you can either record MP3s and send them via email or just send a good old-fashioned email to the show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com. I will tag the living daylights out of this episode as spoiler-filled, spoiler-filled, so hopefully we don't ambush anyone with the spoilerness of it though we're we're getting into the period where uh it's difficult for you to remain unspoiled at this point because <laughs> so damn many people have seen this and are talking about it um thank you for joining us for this episode this was our second experimental video episode this one actually features grail's head my head and also features full audio from the uh, the playback deck this time instead of just the voices, which I realized I screwed up last time. Oh, my God. It's an educational moment. Um, so we'll continue to refine this and find new and interesting ways to bring in more talking heads and bring in perhaps live video feeds from sites and things as, as we, if we want to play video for you in the episode from stuff we found. More of that to come. Uh, as usual, you can find us on the web at alphageekradio.com or alphageekvideo.com. Take your pick. It all leads to the same place for now. Um, he is on the tweeters as grailch. That's G-R-A-I-L-C-H. I am on there as alphageekmedia. Find our subreddit, alphageekradio.reddit.com. Send us story suggestions, reactions, all that kind of fun stuff there. Vote it up, vote it down. Give us ideas about what you want us to talk about on the shows. We should be back uh, next Wednesday again. We're going off schedule in order to avoid conflict with uh, New Year's Eve this time. Yeah, I'm going to be partying on New Year's Eve. And, and drunk radio is not good radio. Uh, occasionally it is. You, at the time, you think you're hilarious. Oh, yeah. And then you go back and watch the recording. And it's That's a, right. Not at all what you remember. Yeah. Uh, so next Wednesday, uh, shooting for either 8.30 or 9, depending on who else is canceling shows or doing shows because normally we would have had to have waited until nine o'clock today but hey the other show was off for the holidays so we right. came in at 8 30 watch the twitter feed uh hardcore casuals for updates as to when we're going to go live and then after the new year we will return to our normal thursday evening 8 30 p.m schedule going forward in the meantime i have been gnomewise and i've been grail and we are out of here bye bye radio people